bad shoe, bad penny, and dime. Technically a criminal who's tough on crime. One baddie, two baddie, three baddie, four. Try to kick his ass and he will kick your poor brain muscle. Yeah, welcome back to Punisher. Or Punisher. Damn it, I have to stop doing that. <laughs> welcome back to Punisher. Uh, our, our Punisher... Uh, episode recap i guess punisher character analysis podcast today uh where one of us thinks the punisher sucks and the other one is a big old punisher fan and that big old punisher fan is libby hunt musician behind our new theme song what's up libby yeah oh you know enjoying this beautiful day ready to ready to get our punisher on man i love that theme song yeah, I I had a really great time writing it and learned a lot about how unable I am to play real instruments, but you know, spoiler alert. Oh, no, it's it's great. It's the greatest theme song since Karen Kilgarms by Favorite Murder and I, Listen, I am really proud of it. I am. I think it rules. And it's I was great. about to yeah. use the version you sent me drunk, frankly. Oh. <laughs> Which is which is somehow raw. I mean, it, that's also a really good one. But you know, yeah. Join join our gun trion, uh, and you'll get access to uh, Libby's drunken outtakes. Uh, so uh, so Libby, uh, uh, is everything okay? Yeah. Sorry, you cut out for a little bit. Oh yeah, that's probably gonna happen with all these people on the call. But um, but uh, hey, Libby, what are we? Hey. Normally we talk about uh netflix is the punisher series but what are we doing today so today we're actually taking a break from netflix the punisher series uh to talk about a an old-timey 90s spider-man featuring the punisher cartoon but an ancient kinetoscope uh spider-man cartoon recovered from the archives yeah but the archives of youtube um (laughs) But we also have a very special guest with us today. Donnie, who's our special guest? Joining us for the very first time as our very first guest on our very first podcast. He works at a comic book shop. He's been reading comics his whole dang life. And he is a self-proclaimed expert on Frank Castle, the Punisher. Let's welcome to the show, Mikey G. Greetings, everybody. Mikey G here. How are you doing? How are you doing is the question. Oh, I am so good, and I'm so excited to join you on this fantastic Funisher episode in which we uh, talk about one of the uh, greatest representations of Frank Castle ever put to uh, celluloid, or uh, film cell, as it were. Frankly, I think it sums him up very well. We get a surprising amount of murder flashbacks in that episode, uh, and I'm very, I'm very excited to dive deep uh, into what I'm sure was a lot of our introductions to the Marvel Universe. But uh, first, I wanted to ask you... Uh, uh, what is your history? What is your history with the Punisher? Because uh, you made it known very quickly that you love this guy, this big guy. Yeah, yeah, I love the character as uh, as he's used mostly as a foil for other characters. But when I first started reading him, I was uh, it was actually during a very bizarre arc in the early '90s where I was kind of just picking up comics, and I was in the middle of a crossover that was very self-contained. Um, and it was actually the very first comic I subscribed to in the mail back when you could actually subscribe to comics in the mail. 
I was, I believe, 11 years old. Uh, also, That's an 11 awesome. year old uh, buying Punisher comics. Um, it's a very different. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, I'm right there with you. I think uh, I think one of my first comics was the miscarriage arc of Spider Man. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's around the same era, actually. Yeah, it was like just slightly after that. And and this is and that was the Chuck Dixon era of Punisher, where it was very kind of conservative and very like he just is this thing, and you should like just like this the way that he is. Uh, but I always knew there was something kind of off balance about the character, which is what I liked about him. Um, so that got me into comics in a lot of ways. I mean, the X-Men and Punisher were like the two things that got me the most into to comics. Is actually reading the books themselves, not just watching like Batman movies and stuff. So, so yeah, that's where I got started and I've been collecting ever since. I've got a few gaps in my collection, but I have most of the appearances uh, of the Punisher. At least I've at least read everything. Um, and I own most of it in, in huge, disgusting, decrepit long boxes like a nerd. Oh, wow. Love a long box. <laughs> you love, the long box is saved for the things like the, the disgusting collection where you're like, yeah, I have that. Not like the short box. You're like, yeah, the short run of these, these <laughs> in, interesting character, character uh, studies. Like the long box is like, yeah, uh, I, I hang my head in shame on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Lippy, have you ever read any Punisher comics? Um, I have thumbed through them, but I am certainly not well-versed at all. Uh, what I know about the Punisher comics actually predominantly comes from conversations with Mikey because <laughs> when I, I when I saw the TV show for the first time, I was instantly enamored with the Punisher. I was like, oh shit, this is awesome. And you know, we just we had some really great conversations about it where he provided the history for me. Um, and I you know, so yeah, it predominantly just comes from our expert who's right here with <laughs> us today, thank goodness. What is so? What's the difference between the Punisher in the comics and the Pun Punisher in the show? Like, is he very different? Is this a loyal adaption? Is it an improvement? You know, it's interesting. It, it's it's one of those questions where it's it's different. Um, but like every era of good Punisher is kind of different than the the previous. So like, I would say it's an evolution of the character that you know the good Punisher stories are always relevant to their current time and like what's going on currently and societally about. The issues that he's dealing with so in 74 when he was created the big issue we're dealing with was the early concept of we didn't even have a term for it quite yet but ptsd and vets right so jerry conway created this character who was meant to be a villain but like not really a villain one you would sympathize with he wasn't meant to be an anti-hero at all he was meant to be a character that was it was sad that he even existed he was a failure of the justice system um he was a failure of things right so like in 74 conway's idea was i mean if you if you read that first you know appearance that he's in he kind of walks away sadly, and and Peter Parker, Spider Man, isn't he? Doesn't even want to pursue him. He's like, that's really sad. <laughs> you know, after all this happened, I'm going to let him go. He's been out there killing criminals, but it's not my place. This is a sad situation, right? So, with that, you think rank Punisher among the sympathetic Spider Man villains? <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I mean, and if you, I, I, in a lot of ways, I still think of him as a villain. Like, I love this character, but I think you should never want to be like Frank. I think when you fail at telling a Punisher story. It's because you're not getting the context of like the fact that he's not someone you should want to be. He's a warning sign. And he's like, I mean, my favorite like characters of all time in comics are like Superman and Captain America, for example. So like Marvel and DC. So like, so those are because they're characters you aspire to be, right? That's what comics kind of do, but they can be deeper in having a character that you are sad for and you think is a good foil for what we kind of want to be as people. 
and deals with all the things like right now, like masculinity is a big issue and like PTSD is a big issue. Like Edmondson's run in 2014 and 2015 is an example of directly addressing Afghanistan's vets kind of like feelings about coming back to the society in 2014 and 2015. And, you know, Mitch Jarrett's, you know, um, who illustrated Tom King's run on um, Sheriff of Babylon, it's a directly Afghanistan-based story. And he illustrated that whole thing. And it's, very not to get too like dark and in a fun you know podcast because I think you guys it's the, the tone here is mostly very fun but it's the character has we've a been, lot of we've been struggling with our tone don't you worry <laughs> <laughs> I like I love the tone so without getting too verbose I would just say like the, the the current run like the Netflix series I should say is is a good example of how you adapt a character to talk about what's currently happening socially and that's what comic books are good at and that's what good media does is always adapts a character keeps them relevant by talking about what's currently happening. And I think we've had a lot of runs, like you know, Garth Ennis's run in the early 2000s was an example of keeping it relevant by doing something different and talking about current societal feelings, where that was a lot of venting about, what, the world's kind of messed up right now, post 9-11. So like, wouldn't it be nice if we just had this like wish fulfillment? Um, and now we're kind of past that. And now we get Bernthal and kind of what he's doing with it. So I, I like it a lot. So I know I feel or have felt like the the minority in the Punisher fan realm in the sense that I like the Netflix version better than what I know of the other ones. And is that, do you think that that is just because I am experiencing it in this current time and it resonates with me in that way? Um, because what, because I know that a lot of Punisher fans feel like the Netflix series is lacking the true essence of what makes Frank Castle Frank Castle you know they want him to be a little more I mean I don't know how you can be more violent but a little less uh relatable in the comics he seems more robotic yeah robotic is right you know like in the comics you know to clarify like a thing with him is he's basically Jason Voorhees but for criminals mm. you know and I think the way that he's most interesting in the comics is and they did this actually in Daredevil season two was they make him an outside character that's that you bounce the morals and ideas and values of another character off of. Right. So like you have like Daredevil saying that's a line I won't cross. And then you have them do debate each other. And they're very like, I always think Punisher is kind of at his best in the, in the Marvel universe, but not in his own universe. But like if you're talking the greater Marvel universe and comic book universe. He's at his best when he's bounced off of someone else's morals and ideas. You know, he's teamed up with Batman before. He's teamed up with Azrael Batman, who's more like Frank Castle. You know, he was the edgelord Batman of the 90s, you know. <laughs> to your point, Tony, like there's some edgelordness in there. Um, you know, and they, they got along a lot better. But but I think like experiencing it, the character this way, if you've never been turned on to, to Frank as a character in the past, yeah, I think it definitely the reason you're going to like it more. Like people that do like the series but haven't read the comics, they're getting a different version of the character than people have been reading for 20 years. Um, I'm always open to those things, but a lot of comic book readers I've learned are very, very insular and very like, they like the thing they like. They like the thing they first started reading. Like, hey, that Batman run is the only Batman run that's ever good. You know, like the next writer takes over and does something new to keep it relevant. And the fans don't like that. It's the same with The Punisher. You know, I think I, I'm more, I've been reading so many comics for so long that I'm okay to changes because I think it's all about storytelling. But I think a lot of fans that, that don't like it, and you know, there's a problematic part of Punisher fans. I don't I don't want to get too much into it, I guess, but a lot of Punisher fans actually are really disturbing people. 
you know, that are aggressive, like, you know, the idea of just kill the criminals, yeah. you know, violent, the answer. Um, I hear that a lot. And it, it, you know, it does disturb me, you know, as a fan, it's like a, being a horror fan and hearing people actually glorify serial killers. Like being a fan of horror is about the feeling you get when you're scared by something. It shouldn't be about, I like murder. Right. <laughs> so with the Punisher, um, do you think be, the Netflix and the comic version are being so different um, I mean, we've had a lot of like nice soft reboots of characters recently, like Aquaman and Valkyrie, and this is, <laughs> and this, and they've and they've seen their changes reflected in the comics. But do you sure. think that someone from the TV show could go backwards and become a fan of the comics, or are they too different? You know, I think they're different in a way where I think it's a good kind of difference. Like if you're a fan of the TV series, I think you're going to be more open to reading backwards chronologically in the character because I think the most like human stories with him are probably the most recent in the comics. And this predates the show, you know, like the Edmondson run is one I like to talk about a lot because that was 2014 through 2015. There were only about 20 issues, but you know, it, it reinvented the character and a lot of the fans hated it. And I, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And I've been reading the Punisher a lot longer than a lot of those, those fans have um, because I understand like comics and characters should adapt with the times, you know, um, but I also understand, like, you know, what what Conway's idea was with that character is that he's supposed to be a tragedy. He's not supposed to be a anti-hero. Like, he's not like Venom where you're supposed to think he's cool. Even Venom wasn't supposed to be cool in, like, someone you aspire to when he was first created. Mm -hmm. So I would say, like, if you're a fan of, of the TV series, it's worth going and reading the comics. But I would really start with the most recent stuff and go backwards because... Um, I think it gets more problematic as you go further back. The 90s where I started is actually probably the worst time. <laughs> like the, the most problematic conservative guns are the answer uh, <laughs> kind of tone. I mean, Chuck Dixon is a conservative and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being conservative and being a writer. I love his work. We've talked a lot. I've, I've talked to him on Facebook with some frequency actually. Um, and, you know, Chuck's a great dude, but like I do understand like why his views and values kind of are something I don't always align with, but I can see the difference in him writing a character that I align with and I find interesting, not align with, but find his, his use interesting. So the question is, can you set aside the gun stuff? Can you set aside the violence is the answer stuff uh, and look for a character that is like tragic because they believe that. Ooh. That's it's, it's, it's interesting to think of Frank Castle in the, we keep talking about, about like the aspirational aspect of superheroes, which I, I really enjoy, but I, I, I also think that we've had a, uh, a, a sort of, uh, parallel, uh, narrative started among comic fans where it's like seeing someone representing your flaws, yeah. I think has become very 100%. relatable to people. Like, um, like you see Loki having a big resurgence, uh, and it's not necessarily that people want to be Loki, although <laughs> I think a lot of people want to be Loki, <laughs> mostly for yeah. the aesthetic. Yeah, true. Yeah, I, I, I don't have. It's, I, I, again, I've got, uh, I've got Loki's name and incorrect elder food thoughts painted <laughs> on the back of my jacket. I get it, but the, the, but the reason, the reason I like Loki is because I feel like I relate to his flaws and whatnot, and like the things that are put upon him. Uh, do you think there's sort of like a societal resentment to a lot of this uh, Frank resent uh, relatability? Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the thing about Frank is like, you know, I think there's there's a lot of wish fulfillment happening, but then also a lot of like, I know, I mean, I'm speaking like I can't talk for all Punisher fans here. And, you know, I definitely wouldn't be curious to hear like Libby's take on it, too. But but I think there's some things where you like you feel a certain way and you kind of feel ashamed of it. 
like sometimes or like that's mm-hmm. what trauma can be when it comes to violence right like for me as a you know i don't want to get too deep into it i guess but like as a man like an adult man now not just a little kid reading it when i'm you know 11 years old and i shouldn't be reading it but an adult man sometimes i see a situation like <laughs> i know if i just punch this person i'll just like get them out of the way and this is done it's like violence is the answer but you feel like ashamed of it like it's that's not the way you should be solving problems like violence is definitely in my view not the first and and like foremost answer but it's nice and if like it feels like you know like this fulfilling like spot in, in your soul you're like yeah you know like gotcha and like i win you know it's this very like masculine kind of thing but you're like a bit ashamed of it so having a character that is like willing to do that but never thinks and never has the shame is like kind of reassuring that you're not to that point you know what i mean yeah i think i think that the reason that i like this version of the punisher so much is because he does experience that complexity you know i think i get why it would be more like punch your fist in the air like oh awesome if he you know was just brutally murdering people that you know probably deserve it um and then just like you know wiping the blood off his brow and walking away you know but but this series allows us to see that other side of things see that frank is not happy really is not without feelings and that i don't know i mean i think that that provides a necessary balance that makes him more accessible to people that would otherwise be really put off by a kind of character and i and i wonder about the serialization of the punisher like if you have a hundred issues of the punisher in the 80s for example how much character growth can you have him go through while still maintaining his desire to kill a new gang every week you know the answer is very very little like it's his growth is in an arc (laughs) like it's that's very recent like but the early stuff i'd say anything through like probably like like 2000 was no real growth for the character but the point was keeping him in this like really tragic place where he never grew like i think that is like the opposite of like happiness in life is a lack of growth and like the writers intentionally kept him not like you know the it, the marvel idea was like hey it's the illusion of change. like stan lee's legendary comment is like we have to give the illusion of growth of change but keep them the same you know if we do that with spider-man do that with this but we have to keep them like losing we have to keep them like yeah he's got a marriage but it's hard and so he always is kind of losing where like with Frank, they were able to just say like, nope, the war is never going to stop for him. The, the violence will never end for this character. And he's never going to learn. He's never going to grow. The only way that those stories really become interesting in that time is when they're told through the lens of another character who is growing from seeing Frank's um, kind of like loss and his, his inability to change. I think we can draw a lot of parallels between Frank and Batman oh, totally. in that way. Um, totally. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, when when Bruce Wayne watches his family die, that his life is That's over. It. He's done. You know, yeah. or his growth is over, and we never see him move beyond that point. You know, he changes in the physical sense and the strength building and gadget acquiring sense over however many years. You know, but he's stunted, and I think that you know with Frank same deal you know the reason he has all of these flashbacks all the time is to remind us that this is the last time that this is the moment when frank stopped being frank and started being the punisher where he will be forever and it's funny you should say that because there are some like you know retcons to his his story where it's kind of like that was inherent in him you know before the loss of his family i'm not sure i'm a big fan of that 
Um, that was a big, like, everybody talks about Punisher Born. I think probably Donnie's even heard of Punisher Born before, you know, because it's like the legendary story where, you know, he's still in Vietnam and, and, mm-hmm. uh, he has this horrible experience there where, you know, he's got his morals set up in the first couple issues and then something really terrible happens at the end. And at the end of it, like he already, before he even goes back to, to his family and has a couple of good years and things go sideways, he's already been set on the path of, I'm looking for a reason to continue my war and this is what I'm here for. And violence is my answer. I'm not sure if I like that because, uh, you know, I, the idea that like his emotional growth stops, it's a very Batman moment, you know, to like, to, to, <laughs> to what you're saying, like Batman, you know, emotionally stops growing when that happens, when he loses his family. And I think how we deal with trauma and loss, you know, is that was, I think what Jerry Conway's like initial idea for the character was, was that the loss, you know, brought him back to a place bef- that was really rough. You know, he came back from Vietnam and he was a good person. He was able to try and grow as a person, but then he lost the thing that allowed him to do that. And so it's like this really sad story of PTSD and, and trauma being something that is hard to to stop reverting. Like when you lose the thing that you're anchored to, it's hard to um, to not revert back to your really damaging behavior, which is, you know, for Frank is, you know, is violence. And we can talk about that later with Endgame. There's a few things with Endgame that I think are very similar to that, but they're a lot more positive. <laughs> Oh yeah, we'll have a we'll have a spoilers beyond Mark towards the end. Don't, don't you worry. Yes. But um, but uh, so I, we saw a little bit of. Well, first of all, you want to get me to stop reading something retcon a destiny? I hate a destiny in, right. in, in stuff, you know. Uh, but uh, but uh, we saw a little bit of what might be flashes of of his PTSD in episode two of the Punisher when he grabbed his kid's face after he was being racist. Um, <laughs> Uh, do you think that uh that this was going to happen to frank no matter what with him or or was he looking for an excuse to go buck wild or 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 how do you how do you think that is with with him in the show a little bit so before i answer that from the comic standpoint i want to kind of hear what libby thinks in terms of like you know her knowledge of the the tv series and then i'll kind of answer my comic side i want to say that this goes along with a flipping of a switch um and that's what that indicated to me it's clear that he is extremely triggered by certain things you know but it also reinforces the idea that his family is the thing that brings him back you know so he has this snap reaction but then when he realizes that the face he's holding in his hand is his kids that brings him back and he's so sorry and he gives him a big hug and he you know because that's not the person that frank wants to be or really is you know he really is trying to move forward but this thing is innately within him but so i think that that is just a hinting at the the flip that or the switch that is going to be flipped when his family is eventually murdered yeah that was my take yeah i think that's pretty similar to the comics too like you know in in the way that i i at least i choose to read the comics because there's definitely like different opinions on that but the way i choose to read it is you know his lifeline was lost like i think if he would have lost his family i don't think he would have snapped as much i think recovery you know, I'm an optimist. I do believe that people can recover from really traumatic situations. It takes a lot of work and it's hard and it takes a lot of anchors. But I think if you take away those things that anger you, um, it's, it becomes more difficult. Um, and, you know, I really do feel like, I know I, I kind of go back to it a lot, but like all of my reading of, of Frank as a character comes back to the original intention of the character by the creator. And, and you know, Jerry's view was that, you know, 
there was a failure that this character has failed so many times. It wasn't just, you know, failed by Vermont to begin with, you know, Vietnam to begin with and the things he had to go through, but he's failed by the justice system and also failed by, you know, just a life fail where losing, I mean, it's, it's completely in the comics. It's different than in the TV series where it's random, you know, his losing his family to uh, essentially witnessing a mob hit is what happens in, uh, in the comic series, um, I, which I think is a lot more powerful because it's random. He did nothing to cause it. He was not involved in any way, shape or form. He just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time with his family. And, uh, you know, to me, that's a lot, a lot darker. <laughs> and I think it also informs the character a lot more in a way that I can relate to. Or understand at least. I think that, I think that it makes a lot more sense in the context of him than becoming a vigilante that is against all yes criminals versus being on this one specific vengeance mission you know and this is an area that i mean this is we'll get into this as the seasons go forward um but i think that this is one of the areas where the netflix series kind of doesn't do a good job in placing all of this emphasis on this one particular event and trying to reconcile that with frank is just really good at killing or like doesn't mind it enough so he's just gonna do it to other situations too yeah i would agree i mean i think that the, one of the biggest failures i think for for the series is the fact that it doesn't like frame his war on crime properly and at least initially and i would say like as the episodes go 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 on i feel like it doesn't really show the the breadth and like the the, the weight of his personal view and vendetta against it's really not against um just these criminals you know like frank castle to me when he works the best it's a vendetta against the world and the way it is but he doesn't he sees a problem and he wants to fix it and the problem to him is crime and you know it being so completely faceless where it's not just these people wronged me i get those people who wronged me that's that's like revenge but for him it's not revenge you know we've seen it in the movies a few times in the line is it's punishment right he's punishing the people he sees as guilty and, uh, you know, that's a societal, like he's basically punishing society, but not the parts that he finds innocent, which he would never harm an innocent, as he says in his own words, many times, even though times in the 90s, he kills a lot of people who were just smoking crack and they happen to be in the wrong place at the same time, and, you know, that he, he's there and now they're, you know, they've been killed. Um, but, you know, in his, in his mind, he only punishes the guilty, uh, which is one of the things that the uh, Dolph Lundgren film in 1989, released in 1990, because it was shelled for a year, uh, does a good job of explaining his, like, look, uh, I just punished the guilty, get out of my face. Like, I, all I have, all I have to tell you is, uh, I, I, I killed guilty, and that's it. Get out of, get out of my way. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we definitely want to cover that uh, at some point. Hold on one second. Libby, are you messing with your microphone? No. For me? <laughs> I'm a lot of microphone. Well, I don't know what's happening, but I'm sure it'll be fine then. Um, well, just to, so to bring it back to Batman right. for a second, just for, just for a point of comparison, um, Batman always has... He sort of begrudgingly always has a family. You know, he has uh, Robin <laughs> that he should not accept, yet he does. He has Alfred, who is is loyal to him. And he's got, in the more recent comics, a gigantic family of basically people who look just like him with Robin and Nightwing and all the other Robins and Nightwings, etc. Um, a literal son. A literal son. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Damien. a literal son. Also Damien. Um <laughs> Uh, does the Punisher ever have anything like that in the comics? Is he ever aspiring 
or begrudgingly accepting of a family or is it just like the occasional maybe unsuccessful sidekick like micros yeah you know it's it's funny because i think that uh, the most that he's capable of is partnership um you know caring about them because they're partners but also you know deeming them as innocent but you know it's funny because in the 90s they did this i actually really like the as much as i kind of deride it sometimes i really like the 90s stuff the dicks and stuff because you know, he sets up all these informants and people that help him and all these things, but he doesn't look out for them, even though it, sometimes they're low-level criminals. You know, he's got people that he will defend and say, like, your crime's not enough to, for me to kill you for. But to make it up to me, you have to, like, help me out, you know? Sure. Um, which <laughs> sounds really psychotic, because it is. <laughs> but at the same time, it's him judging people as having worth. And I don't know if he knows he's doing that, but he's, he's deciding that people aren't worth, um, certain people aren't, you know, they don't deserve death and punishment, you know? He has someone in the, the 90s who's basically a mob infor- informant for him and gives him a lot of information. Yes, obviously, Micro is a long-standing person, but the second, you know, and this, Garth Ennis did a thing, a follow-up story with with Micro, Micros. Um, <laughs> I mean, spoilers here, but where it turns out that after Micro finds him again and you know gets him all set up, this is a character from the '90s, obviously, and he's been gone for a long time. Comes back, and says, "Hey, I need your like your government sanctioned help. Yeah, we're gonna set up this mission. You're gonna take out some of these drug dealers and." Turns out at the end of the story that Micro found out and got this government assistance to get Frank on the case because initially Micro was involved with actually helping those drug dealers himself. So, of course, at the very, very end of the episode, uh, the, the issue, uh, this long run, I think it's like 12 issues total, it's a couple, two arcs together. Um, Micro gets shot in the head point blank with a shotgun, and very graphically, he's dead for good. Oh. Shot by the Punisher? Yes, yes, mm. by the point. He executes him, like, game run style. There's even a conversation oh. first where he's like, Frank, like, it was only drugs. He's like, people died. And, like, there's this long conversation that goes on for several panels. They're like, they're not going to kill Micro. He's like this ni- like this legendary, like, 90s sidekick. Oh, yeah, it's very graphic. You know, you see his jawbone flying towards the screen. And, oh, my gosh. And- Ugh, <laughs> comics love jawbones. <laughs> yes, they love it. It's, it's a good one. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so- <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate Marvel is built on a foundation of jawbones. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that going on in the Max series, um, you know. It's and, uh, and and so it's funny because the minute that someone turns out to be uh, working on the side that he doesn't agree, like once they cross line, they're no longer family to him, and he's willing to, you know, com- you know, sacrifice them to. It's not like I'll give you a running start. No, it's like once you cross the line, it's very black and white. So he's a character that doesn't have a lot of family ties. Like once someone crosses a line, you know, um, he does have people. You know, like I would say, like you know, the Max run does a good job of having you know, like. You know, Bumpo and, and Jane and different characters be, you know, sort of family to him. But um no, I mean I think he's a little less a little less dedicated than than Bruce is <laughs> to those mm. people. So so Bruce so Batman seems almost soft in comparison to Punisher. A hundred percent. He's methodical. I mean but he's another one of my everybody's favorite character in a different way has gotta be Batman, right? Like he's Batman. <laughs> like how do you not love him? Um I, I like him because he's emotionally damaged and I like that part of the character as being interesting. Like how you can still build something from nothing. That's an interesting character trait. But you know, Bruce is definitely a lot softer. He also doesn't kill. You know, there's he doesn't have that black and white. He has he he rides a line a lot more than Frank ever could. Frank doesn't believe in writing the line. It's really you're guilty and you're dead or you're not guilty and you're alive. And that's it. <laughs> well, before that's, that's awesome. Uh, and I'm very glad you're bringing your expert, your expertise here to this Punisher podcast, because frankly, we don't know anything about the Punisher. Can, be can I tell me. you something? I'm taking a drink every time you say, frankly. <laughs> 
I suggest um, everybody else do the same. Play along at home, guys. The official rules to the podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, there is one thing that before we get into the episode, there's one thing I just super duper gotta know about, and it is. So at any point, does the Punisher like open a closet and it's like SpongeBob full of skull T-shirts, or like how does that? How does how do we justify that in the comic books exactly? But really, but you know what's really funny is like this was a big part of the letters column in the uh, the nineties and like early two thousands. Um, like how does he walk around in the city of New York City where he's known to be operating? He looks like Frank Castle and he's wearing a skull shirt in all the comics all the time with maybe a trench coat over I assume he has a blanket on or something. Yeah, like a trench coat <laughs> on over it. And you know what they always say? Like the, the best thing is the editors of these books would always say the same thing. They have like a stock answer. Well, Punisher's a really uh, popular person in New York. They, a lot of the population feel that, you know, he's cleaned up crime. So a lot of people, there's a lot of merchandise. Do they? So even if he wasn't wearing a shirt, he could just like bust into Times Square and grab something. Yes. There's somebody in a big mascot Punisher outfit. And that's my answer. It's like, he could just literally walk around. <laughs> You know, like you're walking around after like it's like a Bruins game going on. You go down the corner and everyone's selling like knockoff Bruins shirts. Like he just probably like after there's like a crime spree, he just walks down the street and just like like I need another shirt because this one's got holes in it now. And he'll just walk up to the guy in the corner and be like two two and two for ten, and then just buy buy two more shirts. He's good to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's uh, that's excellent, uh, and I'm very I'm very glad to know that. Libby, do you have any final questions about the Punisher comics? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I do. Not right now. So I'm sure some will arise as we continue to talk. Uh, well, great. Then I think it's time for us to get into the episode. Uh, and if I may start that off by apologizing to you, dear listeners, for subscribing to a Punisher podcast when it is clear that it was a great experiment, but now we need to switch over to being a podcast about the Spider-Man animated series. Uh, <laughs> hope you guys didn't get your hopes up too much, but uh, here we are. So. Yeah, we're pretty certain you'll agree with us by the end of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's uh, let's get into the episode and start off with this clip. Got it! What in the name? He's turned into a freak! Can't sing, can't dance, time to spotlight. Six arms? Or journal entry 1195.3. Spider-Man spotted at 20, 30 hours. Doesn't matter how many arms he's got, I'm gonna take him. That was, of course, the sound of Punisher taking off with his iconic <laughs> jet <jetpack. laughs> Oh, man. Uh, this episode, which I assume is called Spider-Man versus the Punisher, did not double check, sees uh, the Punisher coming after a, a newly six-armed Spider-Man after his transformation into Man-Spider begins. Uh, Libby, what did you think of the episode? Oh my god. I had a lot. Well, so this is definitely the first uh, Punisher versus the Spider-Man interaction that i've seen much less of many of many i'm sure yeah i I hope um much less an early 90s cartoon version um so (laughs) i i loved it um i didn't know what was i honestly i didn't know what was going on a lot of the time um most of my notes had multiple question marks next to them but in a but in a joyous way you know (laughs) um 
it was it was a lot of fun as even from that clip i mean the sounds the sights the sounds the concept of a six-armed spider-man um yeah there's just a lot a lot to unpack uh but I'm really looking forward to unpacking it with people who may know more what's going on than I do. Mikey, what was your take on this iconic battle? Oh my god. This episode is ridiculous. <laughs> and fantastic. <laughs> and I, I just can I just say I think Teal is a really good choice for his for his, for his get up, his costume, and I definitely love the headband. I think he needs to uh, bring that back. Oh, <laughs> love the headband. Yeah. Well, this, you know, because the sweat sometimes get, gets in your eyes when you're on your jet pack. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I do have to say, I love the fact they brought in, this is a real thing, the battle van is here and represented. Yes. Is the it? Van is a real 90s <gasps> thing that happened with the Punisher, where he would literally have all these things at his command and say, I need this blank, and Micro would shoot it to him from the battle van, so... Um, can I can I confess something? Um, when I it took me about halfway through the episode to realize that he wasn't saying battle fan, which I assumed was what he was calling Micros. <laughs> He's just talking to you in the car, and you're sending him. A I just thought it was this fun nickname for Micros. Hey, battle fan. <laughs> Which is why I said to you earlier, Donnie, I was like, I think that's my girl, but I don't know, because he's calling him Battle Fan. <laughs> His original superhero name before he was dumped in a vat of microchips. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So for those of you listening at home, the Punisher does have a smart car that is voice activated in the exact same way all of our shit is today in 2019. He had that in 94, so just keep that in mind. <laughs> Foreshadowing. So the so uh so the Punisher goes after Spider-Man, which we all agree is probably the wrong move as people who are who knows spider-man as a as a justice boy and uh but i think the quips of spider-man and the punisher are equally matched the days of terrorizing the innocent are over don't tell me the skull the corny line oh, your name must be bonehead right now spider-man's on my side <laughs> Uh, he's also like who's this goon (laughs) okay but do you have a clip of later when the punisher gets him back uh what's he say when he gets him back there's so many i had to i actually pulled like a hundred clips from this and i had to be uh selective okay well he well it's you know it's great circular storytelling because he comes back and he calls him webhead that's right i actually think i do have that Are these the mysterious origins of the term webhead? Probably not, but it was so yeah. nice. Mikey, what do you know about this man spider arc? Because I think this was also happening around the time I started reading. Yeah, so I mean, it's basically, this is a translation of like a lot of stories kind of combined into one, right? So he did have this mutation, or like mm-hmm. a secondary mutation, where he turned into the man spider. There was nothing at that time around this arc that had anything to do with the Punisher or Mor- Morbius, who, who is fantastic in this also because... I, I will get into a recap, I'm sure, at one point, but can I just say, like, how hilarious it is that everyone just mistakes uh, a man with pale skin wearing a black trench coat walking around on walking on the top of buildings as Spider-Man? Like, oh, he's the problem. And so Frank is like, I'm going to kill this, this this bad dude who's been kidnapping people, who is uh, Morbius the Living Vampire, who looks nothing like Spider-Man. I, that's a, a oversight. <laughs> okay, so this... 
this was cut out of our shit. Okay, cool. Because we did see Morbius in the cartoon for a second. Yeah, so if you were watching, I I watched the full episodes. I I actually have these on VHS because I wrote them off of TV. It was just really sad, but back in the day. So I watched them all in length um, last night. And the great thing is, like, the whole reason that Frank was after, there's two things that you may have missed. So number one is... The opener shows from okay. Castle actually going after, uh, killing some, I mean, and killing, I should say, uh, in the way that you could kill people in 1994 uh, on TV, on a kid's cartoon. Which is how, exactly. There's an explosion near a guy, and you don't see him again, um, when Frank enters a warehouse where there's a kidnapping happening. And then a person falls out of a window as he approaches him and says, I don't take prisoners. <laughs> so, so you kind of get the context, right? Like, okay. <laughs> yeah just awesome. just to clarify listeners uh Lib- libby and i watched this on youtube um and uh it quickly became apparent that it was incomplete but we will have this version available to you in the show notes sorry if i can continue so, so and then he's like oh i give up i surrender he's like oh why so you're gonna get some scumbag lawyer and just get you off oh no i don't take prisoners and the guy freaks out and runs to a window and just half jumps out half trips and then that's the end and then he goes back to the girl and like he's like oh you're you're safe now and then micro who is very comic book accurate in terms of the way he looks at that time says oh i got a i got a mission i got a job uh give you some good pr something that's gonna make you look really good to the cops because you know they don't like the fact that you've been you know like murdering hundreds of people and that's kind of the law <laughs> In fact, I think I think we might have uh might have this clip. It's worth the wait. One second, y'all. Um boop, 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 boop. Hold on, y'all. Somebody uh, go. Talk talk amongst yourselves for a second while I find this. Should we just say should we just say quotes from the quotes from the episode? I looked the devil square in the eyes and I liked it. Fantastic, where they just show the kites in the air flying, and then at one point it lands in the puddle and forms a skull. And I was like, "That's oh my god, I know." Frank, you've got to drop it now. Can't. Spider-Man's turned into some kind of monster. This isn't your kind of fight. We were just gonna do a simple, high-profile job to get you in good graces with the law. That's all. Are you listening to me? You're not in this to fight monsters. Wrong. That's exactly what I'm in this to fight. Monsters. Monsters. I think there's a very interesting idea in here somewhere. <laughs> where uh, he sees he sees the people that he kills as almost inhuman. Yeah, actually, that's funny. That was one of the moments in the, the, the episode I found really interesting. Like, wrapped around this, like, ridiculous wrapper of, like, of what their initial mission is. But yeah, he's like, uh, to him, they're subhuman. Just like this this now four-armed, uh, six-armed monster running around the city is subhuman. And so, well, just kill it too. Yeah, especially because he is... Has Spider-Man mutated into some kind of man-spider? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. So yeah, so they see that, the, that Spider-Man's running around being a bad guy. Uh, or no, being a good guy. <laughs> Uh, Libby, where were we? I just got totally lost looking for this clip. <laughs> oh my god! Um, so I, we're still—I think we're at the beginning of where we started watching right. now. Because my first note is <laughs> Spider-Man has extra arms. So, way, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I say that's a, a pretty good summation. Um, but you know they're you know they're fighting on on the above buildings. 
Frank has some sort of Iron Man-esque contraption going on, which was unexpected. Um, my well, Some of my favorite content from this came actually from like the news reporters that were reporting on it as it was happening. They were like, find out who that man with the skull is. And they're like, is the skull on his chest? And the, and the lady's like, no, it's on his shirt. No, yeah, she's, she's, on, she's on the, on the horn. And she's like, no, it's not a tattoo. It's on his shirt. <laughs> oh, you guys know I pulled this. That's right. I set a skull on his chest. No, no, it's not a tattoo. The skull's on his shirt. This is, you know, so, so this is where we start to get great Frank. Um, you know, they're, they're talking about I think that the people below are like, oh, should we let him get Spider-Man? They're like, not this guy. He uses lethal force. Big emphasis um, on lethal force in this. Big emphasis. I think that that must be, and Mikey, you can speak to this. Is that the way that they talk about murder in the 90s? Uh, uh, in the 90s on cartoons for kids, yeah. If you're trying to say they kill someone, you can't say the word kill. You can't say the word murder. So you have to find ways around it. So I, I also want to say this is a very ambitious idea to take Frank Castle, the Punisher, and put him into a cartoon with what were the standards of 90s cartoon series? <laughs> How do you have to... Well, he takes them down permanently. Yes. Like, would you say he... Mur- no, I wouldn't say he does that. I would yeah. say he uses a legal force. So he can't... No. No. <laughs> when they go down they don't get back up yeah this is why i had to limit all the clips i was pulling because there's so many good ones but this is this is how the cartoon describes the punisher which i think is an important uh is important for understanding the context here jonah your mystery man his name's frank castle he's a self-styled vigilante calls himself the punisher he's wanted by the fbi (laughs) and even the cia want him for questioning in the disappearances of various crime figures a crime fighter huh and now he's after Spider-Man? Maybe we can play up that angle and turn him into a hero. Not with this guy, Zemo. He's known for using lethal force. He shoots first and never asks questions. Hmm. What about Parker? Is he getting any pictures of this? I couldn't find him. Typical. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's so good. So we have disappearances of prominent crime fighters and the and the and lethal force. Uh, which maybe kids don't know what that means. <laughs> Shoots first and ask questions never. <laughs> <laughs> That's our favorite way to describe Frank Castle ever. We have to we have to hunt down any child yeah. property that the Punisher is featured in. I think Libby. I think that's a, a wise venture. He he says at some point, "I prey on those who prey on the innocent." I feel like you can market that to kids. <laughs> sure, yeah. Batman says that shit all the time. It's, it's um, PG material. Yeah. So after Spider-Man gets away... Oh my god, how great would it be... I'm sorry for interrupting. How great uh-huh. would it be if they made... Uh, if there existed a live-action uh, Punisher series <laughs> like the Adam West Batman style? <laughs> <laughs> every every episode, like, he just shoots towards the camera where the criminals are and you never see anything happen. Then he does, like, the, the Punisher dance... <laughs> <laughs> Whack. cosplayers out there we are going to need a teal punisher suit anybody out there i see i see him in tights you know like shorts and then teal tights running down the beach oh yeah <laughs> can i just one really quick before moving on in the plot can i just say one thing about his design here is it it really reminds me of so when the punishers are getting really popular in the 80s they decide to launch a second series called Punisher War Journal, 
the first issue of that has this really weird kind of purpley kind of blue tint to it, meaning to be like, oh, it's late at night. There's like a spotlight on him. And I feel like whoever was designing the the version of him to put in this, this series just saw that one thing and saw, oh, he's, he's purple and blue. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll just, we'll just color him purple and blue. <laughs> and they, they, they decided on teal. For the record, I, I think it looks good. I really like it. Yeah, I'm not opposed. <laughs> it's very flashy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fabulous. I love it. But I mean, it's very Marvel sure. versus Capcom. <laughs> it is. It is. So, so then he goes and he meets with Micros, who he knows from Nom, I guess. Yeah. No, he doesn't know him from Nom. He he references like Micro knows his history, so he says like the war's been going on since Nom. Basically, like when is it going to be enough? And he's like, it's never enough. But Micro, they they're pretty. Micro is probably the most accurate character here by far in this series, even including Spider Man. He's well represented, I would say, to the comics. How did he? How did Micro and and Punisher meet in the comic series? Was it similar so, to the show? I mean, it's no, not at all. To, to the to the Burnfall show, no, no, not the Netflix series. No, it's it's basically uh, so Micro. There's a kind of like they do again a retcon and kind of talk about his history a bit. But really, what happens is his son gets killed, and he seeks out the Punisher to like help him in a in a situation, and then they become partners because he has this technical knowledge. Um, so there's there's like kinship between them because he understands the need for vengeance. But the Punisher, you know, kills the person responsible for his son's death. But it just kind of goes beyond that. And then actually Micro at one point, I don't want to be too long winded on the comics, but Micro at one point actually kind of betrays Frank. This is years down the line and decides like he's gone too far. Like I got my vengeance. You've got yours. The people who killed your family have been dead a long time. I'm going to lock you in a warehouse and until you come to your sanity and you stop killing people and you stop being so reckless and then I'll let you out. Yeah, and Frank doesn't put up with that well, but micro's history is essentially that he has a similar experience and just happens to be a really good uh overweight computer hacker which was all hackers in the 90s are <laughs> so 90s yeah empty chip bags everywhere if they're if they're not uh from uh, angelina jolie uh, in the movie hackers then they are fat hackers in the 90s that's a, a two option and we get a little bit of micros trying to anchor frank <laughs> Yes. Uh, away from his murderous ways here in the following clip that I definitely haven't already played. Battle fan. Mini stinger with Teflon blade load. Key to buy signal. Any wind compensation from aerial target. Don't do it, Frank. Please, don't do it. Now, is, is Micros running the battle van? Is that how that goes in the comics? <laughs> no, I mean, it's voice activated. He sets it all up, but it is, like, independent of... I mean, Micro is, like, the guy in the chair. But the the van is voice activated in 1994 because my micro is so good. <laughs> so he doesn't have the ability to override the commands that Frank is giving it. No, but with all of that, he doesn't have an override command. <laughs> believe it or not. Also, I don't know if you saw the shot later on where he, he's loading the van with more lethal guns later, and it looks like he's got like a big stack full of pipes, and that's a gun, and it's like this ridiculous <laughs> series of like, it's very 90s. I just love it. It's like. He's got, what is that, rebar? <laughs> like, oh, no, it's a gun. <laughs> it looks like a bundle of rebar. <laughs> well, and at this, I think it's interesting that we have a um, a an idea that the Punisher is reckless, which I have never necessarily yes. gotten from the show, at least not yet, where we have this exchange between uh, Spider-Man and the Punisher, where the Spider-Man basically, Spider-Man's basically like, hey, you got the wrong guy. Come to your senses. Who are you? Punish those who prey on the innocent. Well, what does that have to do with me? You kidnapped that student. Next time, 
Get the facts before you decide to punish someone. This isn't the end, Wallcrawler. I'm coming after you. And next time, I'm using lethal force. Lethal <laughs> force. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny? That affected me a lot as a kid. That's the version of the Punisher I know as someone who's like, he is reckless. You know, like that, that's that again to the reading of the Punisher that I was into at the time. That seemed like, yeah, that's that's Frank. Like, that's what he would do. He, he's not always careful. He doesn't always, he, he just like, oh, he's a bad guy. I'll kill him. He doesn't always look into the details. Now, is is that is that anything that we've ever explored in the comic books or the or well, I, maybe this is spoilers for the show, but uh, that he has gone after the wrong people um, because we had hints of that a little bit in the show. Although I'm not sure that we're really pursuing that because we're just constantly resetting who the Punisher is actually <laughs> supposed to kill. Uh, where it turns out it was a yet another person who was responsible for his family's death. Is that is that a thing that we get very often? I mean, not, not in the comics. It happens here and there in this series. Like, and I don't not not in a way that he's so wrong that the, the things he's been doing are actual mistakes. Okay, like he's actually like he, there's more to what he's been doing. Like, oh well, yeah, I killed the right person, but there's more going on. Is kind of what you get in the TV series. Where in the comics, oh yeah, he's absolutely been like a low level guy. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, he, even in the one of the movies, I think is a good representation of some of his mistakes, where he you know kills an undercover police officer at one point. You know, these are mistakes that happen when you're going around shooting guns at people mm. and not asking questions first right. and not knowing great intel, you know. <laughs> I don't know where, where we're at in the plot summary, Libby, but as far as I understand it, we miss a good <laughs> chunk and suddenly he is fighting a, a man spider. Uh -huh. Hold on. Hold on. I want to say, uh, I just want to quote two things um, or point out two things. The first thing. I'm going to go back to the news reports. Um, New York is experiencing a plasma draining disease. <laughs> question mark, uh -huh. question mark, question mark. Well, you watch the edited version that doesn't have Morbius the living vampire in it very much, which is literally the subplot <laughs> to everything. Oh, okay, so dumb. That's why it's a plasma draining <laughs> disease. I was like, what is this? So, so the Punisher is after, he doesn't know it, but the Punisher thinks he's after Spider-Man for these things, but it's actually Morbius the Living Vampires going around sucking plasma out of people. So that's essentially what you're missing out of the, this episode, which actually ties it in and makes it make a lot more sense of how we could have a mistaken identity for this character, other than the fact that they look nothing alike, and there is video footage of, of Morbius the Living Vampire who looks... Nothing like a man in a blue and red costume. Uh, maybe the Punisher's a big idiot. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> the other part I wanted to quote was when Micro says, Frank, these are awfully big toys. <laughs> Which I just, you know, I just liked it. <laughs> That's, that's what he's loading the rebar in. That's what he's loading. I just love that. Yeah, I love that also. Look for Jared Leto as Morbius, the living vampire, in Sony's upcoming solo film for some oh, reason. Oh, no. Oh, man. This is going to be sucking plasma in there, I guess. Because they couldn't say blood. So they had to say plasma. Oh. What's plasma? Says so every child. Uh, well, so eventually he ends up fighting Man Spider. Is this where we're at? Yes, yeah, that's where we're at. So they're fighting. Um, yeah, you say it. I've been talking too much. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, you can finish the recap. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, okay, so they're fighting. They're fighting. They're fighting. It looks like the Punisher may be about to lose when all of a sudden, who should jump over the railing of the very tall building that they're on top of? But... Craven the Hunter? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> as soon as I saw this, I texted Libby in all caps, Craven the Hunter. It is indeed Craven uh, the Hunter no. wearing his extremely yellow pelt. I was like, what kind of animal is that? Iconic colonial supervillain Craven the Hunter. What kind of animal did he make his pelt from? Like, do you oh, think? She's like, did you bring your ceremony? I mean, you may not have seen this in your version, but like, did you bring your ceremonial hunting garb? <laughs> I did not see that. <laughs> Like, of course, little one. Of course, I brought my garb. A hunter does not hunt without his pelt. <laughs> hey, hey, guys! News to me: I love Craven the Hunter. <laughs> He's, He's great. He literally quotes Francis Bacon in this episode. <laughs> yes, I actually have his entire monologue here because I loved it so I much. Know, it so really it's, a of, so it's a bit of a longer clip, but bear with us. It's very yeah, worth go, it. Go with it. It's great. <laughs> The television, they say you are a vigilante who thinks he is above the law. So what? It is written that a man may build himself a throne of bayonets, but cannot sit on it. Give up this hunt. It is not about good or bad. It is about life. Don't know who you are, Jungle Boy, but if you get in my way one more time, the lion ain't gonna walk tonight or ever again. You understand? A man that studieth revenge keeps his own wounds green. Francis Bacon. Revenge is a foolish reason to hunt. Maybe, but it works for me. <laughs> Season three of The Punisher right there. Oh guys. my god, yes. <laughs> Netflix, what have you done? I'd watch that. Uh, it's nice to have, again... Because Spider-Man really doesn't get to dish philo- philosophically with the Punisher at all, which is a shame because I feel like they'd have they'd have a lot of great discourse. Uh, but bringing in this perhaps redeemed at this point villain to to dish it with the Punisher was so cool and interesting. It was. It's definitely. You know, what's funny is like uh, if I'm guessing Donnie, you've read Craven's Last Hunt, right? You know, I haven't, and I was thinking that the oh, whole time was I needed oh, to read that. Yeah, my friend, if you like Craven, it's like one of the best stories ever written to me. Like it's 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 in comics in general. It's it's to me, it's better than uh, you know than Dark Knight Returns. Like I think it's a fantastic. Well, as it turns out, Craven's my favorite character ever. So here we are. <laughs> I think we all like Craven now. Craven yeah, on the series on that animated series is like the second best thing Craven's ever done. The first best thing is one of the best things ever written in comics, and this next best thing is everything on this animated series. Well, that's good because I'm good. I'm glad there's a big iconic Craven story for me out there because I'm Craven this hunter. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> Good night, everyone. <laughs> Who are you? Me? Come on. Now there's two two people. <laughs> so Craven joins the fight, and then I don't know. There, you know, mostly he just says all of that stuff, and then somehow Spider-Man gets away, or the SmackDown continues to what seems to be Central Park, perhaps. Gotta be. Um, Craven is gone. Frank is after Spidey. Spidey gets him, and wraps him in a web cocoon and then the next time we see him he is hanging in some web lair he's hung upside down in a, in, in spider-man's web lair yeah and well well yeah the man spiders yes ridiculous den of darkness i'm not sure where he is supposed to be exactly it looks very sticky though we see a very sharp hunting knife appear and it is craven setting our dear friend frank free um 
he's like, oh, I think we should work together or something. And Frank's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, and then they get up, and, you know, they're like, let's get out of here. And is it some is it something that belongs to Frank that he touches, or is he just like dangling thing and touches him? Hey, what's this? Okay, I think he sees a gun and he's like, a gun <laughs> has to touch it because Craven turns around and says the timeless line, "No, do not vibrate the web." But he vibrates it. And who should show up but Mad Spider. In all his hairy, multi-legged glory. And they fight for a while. Uh, and, and let's not gloss over how much I love this Craven Punisher team up. Man, what a, what an arc they've had in five minutes. I really like these guys. It's good. I know, seriously. Legit, they're like, they're, they're, their chemistry is like, is good. Because they instantly like, I love how they get up. Like this, going back just a minute, and like, you get up and he's like, so, and Craven's like, we should work together. And Frank's like, okay and i'm like wait for like the for now or something but he just says okay and there's a long pause but he says that like there's gonna be more and they just walk away <laughs> let's do it off yeah seriously <laughs> netflix we're looking at you has this ever happened in the comics to your knowledge they've there's never been a team up between i mean unless they just happen to be oh. in big battle lines together and like larger battles that like involve the entire mcu they've never been like actually teamed up together that i've seen anywhere which is a huge shame We've had 20 years at least in this episode to inspire people, and we have not had this yet. It's It's crazy. So they fight, and we get to a point where the Punisher uh, has the opportunity to maybe kill Spider-Man, and uh, someone rushes to stop him and says... They say on TV that you fight criminals to avenge the loss of your family, that they were caught in a crossfire between rival gangs. Don't you know that nothing you do now can ever bring them back? This man has a disease. He's trapped in this creature's body. He's a victim, just as your wife and two children were victims. The only monster here is you. I'm listening. He's listening. Oh. They solved his arc. Okay, he's done. I was just saying, that fake accent really hurts me. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so not ideal. Good. But yeah, yeah. He's, her name so, is Mariah Crawford. I just want to give give our doctor a name here. Yeah, Dr. I'm, not, I'm not sure if that was in your clip, but she's the one. I believe they're they're related in some capacity. But uh, yeah, she. Yeah, they were very touchy-feely, perhaps romantically involved in some way. <laughs> so maybe not related. <laughs> I would hope not. Related, yeah, oh, like, yeah. like in a family way. Yeah, relations. <laughs> you know, you're out on safari, shit happens. <laughs> but our, our, our good doctor here uh, prevents the Punisher from executing Spider-Man, and she gives him... The serum, which restores him, and they and they put a mask on him out of respect. Well, first uh, Frank throws his coat over him, which is just nice. <laughs> That's just considerate. Nice. Yeah, uh, I do enjoy Frank in a coat. That was a good look. Yeah, also. yeah, definitely. Uh, and then Spider Man is cured, and we have uh, th- uh, we have this final exchange about how um, things shook out down here. Uh, World Trade Center parking garage. How did you know? The gravel that I found in Man Spider's webbing, it still had the scent of gunpowder from that bomb explosion of years ago. Clever. I'm impressed. We would be magnificent together. Yes, and we we get a a final shot of the Twin Towers um, in this app. So a slightly dour note to end things. I will say that, like, 
the the imagery and tone I get from that outside of the tragedy around that is Twin Towers. We would be great together. I ship it. Oh. That's my take. So, I mean, I'm trying to be optimistic here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We, we need a bit of levity there. So, Libby, how'd you like Spider-Man? Oh, so good. I mean, I didn't really feel like this episode was about Spider-Man at all. You know, Spider-Beast or Man-Spider is not the Spider-Man that I know and love. So I had, I felt less attached and less interested to what was happening there. And maybe this is because I didn't see the entire thing, but I am curious. I mean, I'm curious about why, like what happened, why he became the spider beast. Um, I get, I get the feeling it was several episodes of him being man spider. Yeah. I don't know. No, it's it was only two. It was funny. It was like two episodes like together. It was a two-parter. Yeah. Like was, I mean, when he had the arms, was that him transitioning into the spider beast, like a like a the werewolf transition? Out, the arms busted out at the very end of the last episode, so like that was okay. what happened like after the story, and that episode was done. And then like so, we start this episode with the beginning of the man spider arc, and it's done in like two episodes. Okay, damn. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was I thought it was a great introduction to. Uh, I mean, I guess it's not an introduction, but it was a great introduction for me to cartoon Punisher um, Craven was the most pleasant surprise of all time. <laughs> yes, really. Is this your first time seeing the Spider-Man cartoon, Libby? Um, no, but yes, for many years. <laughs> Mikey, how did you enjoy the episode? I mean, you know, I, I, I find it hilarious and fantastic and just bombastic. And I mean, when you look at what you got here, you got Morbius living vampire, you have Spider-Man with with the six arms at first, and you got the man spider. You have Craven, and you got the Punisher, all in like what thirty nine minutes worth of storytelling. Uh, it's it's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call it serious or anything, but I I love it. I think it's fantastic. It's it's so enjoyable. Is in like the cues and the, the ridiculous voice acting, and like the everybody's just very exhausted. I just love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I also loved it, and I uh, I mean, I I, I love this era and the and the era immediately following this where there's no rules for these comic book shows you get all these characters all piled up on top of each other there was an episode of uh x-men evolution where we explore like wolverine's backstory serving in world war ii with captain america these like little super duper comic book moments where you can condense all of these ideas together and learn about these characters very quickly uh, that I appreciate about these old cartoons. And you can only do because they're kind of simple and dumb. You know? yeah, definitely not to derail, but Donnie, did you ever watch the uh, the, the series finale of Spider-Man, the animated series with the, uh, the Spider-Verse thing? No, uh, no, I don't. This series? Yes. No, I didn't. The series ended with, I believe it's a four-part spectacular, one of the greatest series enders of all time, where basically it did Spider-Verse well before Spider-Verse ever got made, which is like... Since Identity Crisis? I think Identity Crisis was like a part of one of the titles in the Clone Saga, yeah. But it's like, yeah, basically, you more or less have it on the head. But that took like years and years and years in the comics to come out, and they literally were able to wrap that entire thing up in this series in I think like two or three episodes. And it was... Wow. Just, it was a lot better for it. <laughs> no, for our, we'll have to watch that for our Spider-Man spin-off podcast. Uh, spin-off, what am I saying? This is Spider-Man podcast now. Oh, also, fun fun trivia. Um, uh, ben Riley, that clone of Spider-Man we were just discussing, uh, was recently revealed to be the new Jackal, who is yeah. the character that introduced the Punisher to begin with. Yeah. Well, they're all clones yeah. back and forth at this point. So, I mean, everything past the clone saga is everyone's a clone. <laughs> 
<laughs> everyone is Ben Riley. Everyone is Peter. Everyone is everybody. <laughs> and yet, no one is, no one is nobody. <laughs> yes, exactly. No one is nobody. I know. Full of emotion. <laughs> well, we've co- we've come to the point in our in our. Uh, oh, hey, uh, Libby. <laughs> yeah, how many how many ammo teeth would you give this episode? Oh, I would give this episode. Uh, Four out of five ammo teeth. Um, the reason I'm not giving full five is because I was really confused, but that's not the fault of the episode. That's just the fault of my experience and the amount of studying that I did in advance. And frankly, that YouTube account. Drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> frankly, drink. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Great game. Mikey, how many skull teeth would you give this episode? Oh. So I'm also gonna go with a four out of five here, but that one that one spent shell casing or magazine, whatever it is, uh, is due to the fact of I just couldn't get past. I rewatched the clip so many times of him loading that rebar in the back of the truck, and I just couldn't get past it as being a gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's a gun. How do you lift that thing? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to give it five out of five teeth because again, we are pivoting and reformatting the podcast, and uh, I'd hate for us to start on anything but the highest level possible. So five out of five for me. Fantastic. Uh, and and now and now we're gonna play a slightly slapdash version. Just to look behind the curtain here of our favorite game. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back to Has the Punisher Killed You, a a game within a game here on Punisher, where we ask, has the Punisher killed a particular character in the Marvel Universe? Uh, Mikey, Libby, you are a contestant today. How are you? You feeling confident? I feel pretty good today. I'm feeling really glad that Mikey's here because (laughs) my track record is not so good, although I did get it last week, so that that felt right. So I'm going into this week with a little more confidence before well in celebration of our discussion to follow has the punisher ever killed thanos Mm. (laughs) how does this work mikey and i are in the same house but we can't see each other so we can't gesture to each other Libby should go first because I have a little extension. So I'm gonna, you know, after the after the momentary debate here. Fuck. Um. Fuck. This is such a trap because obviously uh, I want to say no because I always want to say no, and I feel. Let me explain my justification for saying no in this situation. Um, Sure. With all of the other characters that I got wrong, uh, they were smaller characters and uh, that I feel like it was more plausible for the Punisher to end up in a situation with them that he would kill them. But I don't, and I mean, I'm talking about my us here because I don't really know a ton about Thanos beyond the movies also. But Thanos just seems too big for the Punisher to kill. So I'm going to say no. Uh, no, from Libby. Uh, Mikey G has the Punisher killed Thanos. All right, so I, I don't want to be long-winded, but I have I have a response to this that is literally I, I wrote down some of my favorite um, pun- weird, bizarre Punisher moments in my notebook Shit. here, and I, I would <laughs> like to read one of these and then give a, give a qualifying answer afterwards. All right. So here we go. So, great, great. After years of boredom in the afterlife, Frank Castle pisses off Odin enough to get kicked out. What next? 
Go back in time, kill baby Thanos. But cuteness cannot be predicted. Oh, and- fuck me. Wait, before you say this, I, I am going to need a yes no, or no. It's not. Because this is, this is what I'm going to take all my lines. It's so. not your lines, trust me. And it's going to be the question. Don't worry, it's not going to finish it. All right? Frank decides to raise that baby right. Instead of wrapping his thong around his neck and killing him, what he couldn't count on, Thanos learning a little too well from Daddy Dearest. Uh-huh. Frank Castle, in fact, raises the Thanos Punisher. Oh, f- My answer to this is Frank Castle does not kill the Punisher. Or doesn't kill Thanos. Does Frank Castle kill the Punisher? The answer from Mikey G is uh, no. <laughs> and from Libby is also no. You said the Punisher. It's Thanos. It, the answer is... So you just put him in the morgue. You goddamn right I do. You're correct. The Punisher does not kill Thanos. Fuck yeah. The Punisher goes to the moment of Thanos' birth uh, and finds him and raises him as his own, but not before gaining the powers from Mephisto of the Spirit of Vengeance, transforming him into who Libby, but the cosmic Ghost Rider. Oh... Well, shit. That's a lot. That sure is a lot, isn't it? Sure is. All right. So, uh, thank you guys. We're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna segue into a discussion of Endgame here, but that's gonna be spoiler town. So before we get there, uh, Libby, is where can you be found on the internet? You can find me on Instagram at Libby Diggs or Libby Diggs Art, where you will probably be seeing a lot more Punisher doodles because I'm working on one right now. <laughs> yeah. Mikey G, where could you be found on the internet? Uh, I can be found most easily over Instagram on Halloween with Mikey G. It's the easiest place to find me. It's Mikey with a Y? That's correct. And yeah, so I mostly post up about comics there, some horror things, and uh, all things uh, fun and comic-y, so... Well, great. Uh, everybody go look at Mikey there. And you can find me on the across the internet at Dawn Shop First. You can find my cosplay at Jason Mimosa. Uh, you can find uh, our sister shows, Abandoned Quest, a D&D actual play podcast at Abandoned Pod Quest on Instagram, and our uh, Deep Space interview show starring both me and Libby at Good Ship Devilry on Twitter. Um, and uh, and you can follow us, of course, on Instagram at Funnish Pod. <laughs> uh, and from all of us, uh, thank you for joining us this week for this Spider-Man episode. <laughs> Thank you to uh, to Mikey G for guest hosting with us and sharing your expertise. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. Great to be here with you guys. Thank you for being on the last ever episode of Punisher. And from, <laughs> uh, from all of us at Punisher, let's, let's fuck, fuck We're getting better. <laughs>